Content warning. This episode contains some graphic accounts taken from survivors' narratives of violence experienced with enforced marriages. Hello, I'm Helen McCabe from the University of Nottingham. Welcome to the Forced Marriage Research Podcast, where we explore concepts, contexts, and contemporary challenges. Welcome to the Forced Marriage Research Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Lauren Eglin, who's recently joined our forced marriage team and has been exploring the archive of narratives by survivors of forced marriage and other forms of modern slavery. Lauren, great to have you here. Thanks for joining. I just wondered if you'd start by telling everyone about the archive, which I know you've been working on for quite a long time now. Yeah, sure. Um, So first, thanks, Helen, for having me. Really happy to be here. I've been working at the Rights Lab since 2017. I've been building our archive entitled Voices, Narratives by Survivors of Modern Slavery, uh, which was launched in 2019. It's currently the world's largest archive of modern slavery survivor narratives, and it's got over 1,300 narratives at the moment, and we're continuing to research and expand the collection. Um, So it features narratives collected by NGOs, charities, researchers, and other national and international organisations, including Human Rights Watch, Anti-Slavery International, the International Labour Organisation, UNICEF, Plan International, and many more. Um, And so the Rights Lab built the archive as a free resource for the modern anti-slavery and anti-trafficking movement. It's open for use to NGOs, governments, researchers, journalists, teachers, and members of the public um, for the prevention and ending of human trafficking in all its forms. The narratives are from people who have experienced commercial sexual exploitation, forced marriage, domestic servitude, bonded labour and other forms of forced labour as well. And its ethos is really that first-hand accounts of modern slavery and human trafficking can help us see why it persists and the patterns in trafficking routes, and it can also help us identify vulnerabilities and drivers and to understand the challenges that survivors face once they have found their way out of that situation, however that may have been. And all of this is really so that it can assist in reaching the UN Sustainable Development Goal of 8.7, which is, of course, the eradication of forced labour, modern slavery and human trafficking. Great. So right from the start of designing this particular research project, I was really excited that we'd be able to use this amazing resource um, of the archive because I felt that one of the key answers to the question, when, if ever, is forced marriage a form of modern slavery, must come from how survivors of forced marriage themselves have seen it and whether they use language around slavery to describe their experiences. Yeah, and the importance of first-person accounts and narrative analysis for understanding these causes and driving factors of modern slavery has been acknowledged and is an approach taken by existing scholarship. For example, Kelly Lyon-Johnson argues that narratives are perhaps the most important tool for fighting slavery in the 21st century because of the depth and breadth of information they provide, the turning points they identify, the awareness they raise, the empathy they invoke, and the action they demand. So survivor testimony is really quite essential for us to understand modern slavery and human trafficking as a very nuanced and complex phenomenon and how experiences vary across time and space. And they kind of they help us identify common drivers and can offer strategies for prevention, abolition and rehabilitation on the local, national and international scales. Um, So analysis of narratives can really increase our understanding of what or who people who have been trafficked or experienced modern slavery consider to be the catalyst for their experience. And of course, this will hopefully provide a framework and point to locations for intervention. And obviously, while all of this is well recognised for modern slavery and human trafficking more broadly, 
There hasn't been much narrative analysis of forced marriage yet. And of course, this could be because forced marriage has only recently been designated a form of modern slavery by the ILA in 2017. Obviously, people listening could go and look at the archive themselves um, because it's all available for free online, as you said. But to give a few headline facts about the research you've been doing for this project, how many narratives have you tagged for forced marriage and whereabouts in the world are they from? Let's start with those like basic questions, I guess. Yeah. So currently in the Voices Archive, we've got 217 narratives tagged as false marriage. Um, And of course, this archive is still growing. We're still adding more to it and finding more narratives. So hopefully that will increase. Um, But these are mostly narratives where women and girls have been forced into marriages to men they do not know, who are often much older and obviously without their free and informed consent. The archive does include examples of failed false marriages. So where the false marriage was planned and for one reason or another, doesn't go ahead. For example, there are a few where a local NGO intervenes and stops the marriage. And these are included because I think they still reveal important information about how and why women and girls are forced into marriage and also what the current successful strategies are for interception and prevention in different locales. And at the moment, all but one of the forced marriage narratives are from women and girls, with the exception being a narrative from a young boy who was married at one years old to a six-month-old baby girl. Um, And when they were both 15, they were forced to live together and assume life as a married couple without ever really having agreed to that. And the narratives are also from across the world um, in countries like Albania, Greece, Bangladesh, Cameroon, Chad, Egypt. We've got some from Ethiopia, Italy, Kenya, Malawi, and then Nepal. And we've got some from the UK and the US as well. And a few, I think about 17 from Yemen. And while this is this gives us a global data set, to an extent the archive does have limitations. So the vast majority of narratives on false marriage that we have at the moment are from India and China. Um, but this also reflects previous and, I guess, current focuses on false marriages in these areas. Um, this reflects previous and current focuses on false marriage in these areas and shows that the Voice Archive isn't necessarily representative for global prevalence. For example, there's no narratives at the minute from South America or Latin America but there are a number of reports suggesting that child early and false marriage is an issue in these regions. And UNICEF have reported that Latin American and the Caribbean were the only region in the world where the rate of false marriage is not decreasing. But I do think despite it not being representative, it still offers a really interesting resource for analysis that sheds light on the relationship between false marriage, slavery and other forms of exploitation that we're trying to look at with this project. Brilliant. So in discussions around forced marriage in the International Criminal Court and Special Courts, which we've talked about in a previous episode with Dr. Hannah Baumeister, there's been some interesting discussion about the kinds of human rights abuses and exploitation that are connected to forced marriage, and further questions about whether forced marriage is something more than the sum of all these different parts. So I've been really interested in the kinds of modern slavery broadly conceived that people experience alongside a forced marriage or as part of or somehow associated with that forced marriage and when different kinds of exploitation occur in their experiences of forced marriage. So for instance, some people seem to be trafficked into forced marriages, but you also find evidence of people trafficked, being trafficked, having escaped to forced marriage. Yeah. So in the narratives um, that we have in the archive, people described experiencing additional forms of slavery and exploitation inside their forced marriages. So this is after the ceremony or if there even is a ceremony happens. Um, They detail forced labour, most often in the form of domestic servitude, um, where they were forced to carry out all the housework and childcaring responsibilities in their husband or his family's house. Um, There's also an example where someone's mother-in-law makes them go and clean other people's houses in the neighbourhood or in the community. 
Um, And another form of forced labour reported was agricultural work. Women and girls were often forced to work long hours on their in-laws' farms or on their land and even go out and work for wages that their husband or his family would then take for themselves. Uh, The women and girls in the narratives generally report that they were never paid for their labour and if they were, the in-laws took the money, as I've just said. Um, There was also an instance of a woman in China who was sold, and she uses this language, to a Chinese family but then she refused to marry the son. This doesn't happen very often in the archive and in the narratives where someone does refuse and is able to refuse. But in in this instance, when she does, she spends weeks being locked up and abused and then forced to work in the fields as punishment for not agreeing to marry and for embarrassing, as she says, the husband. Women and girls also reported sexual abuse and sexual exploitation in the marriage. Um, This ranged from sexual abuse such as rape, and sexual exploitation that rises to the level of slavery, including forced prostitution and forced reproductive labour, such as forced pregnancy. But it should be noted that, as well, that forced marriage almost always involves trafficking. So we define that as the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harbouring or receipt of a person by means of the threat or use of force and other forms of coercion. Um, It can also include abduction, fraud, deception, the abuse of power or position of vulnerability, or the giving and receiving of payments or benefits to achieve control over another purpose, and it has to be for the purpose of exploitation. And because forced marriage often does involve the removal of a person from their home to their husband or in-laws, there are very few narratives where this doesn't happen. Um, And that can be within communities, regions, nationally, or across borders, um, without their consent, and usually through threats of abuse, threats or abuse or vulnerability, Because as the narrative show, forced marriage is often a guise for slavery and exploitation. Trafficking is often part of the forced marriage experience. Great. So the narratives are showing that on a kind of broad understanding of modern slavery, like as the ILO says, like something kind of incompatible with human dignity. So forced labour, they say forced marriage anyway, um, debt bondage, that kind of thing. Lots of cases of forced marriage involve one or more form of modern slavery. And as in the wartime cases, that raises really interesting questions about the ways in which forced marriage itself might be a form of modern slavery, broadly conceived, um, or whether we should see it as a kind of gateway to other forms of exploitation, which again is something that international courts have discussed in the conflict cases. So the ILO and Walk Free in their 2017 Global Estimates of Slavery offer a definition of forced marriage, which is not just the kind of thin understanding in most law, which is that two of at least one of the spouses didn't give their full and free consent but as a situation in which people find themselves where they lose their sexual autonomy and are forced to provide non-consensual labor under the guise of marriage and so i think they're trying to get at something really interesting especially for someone who spent a lot of time studying feminist political thought and political economy about how non-commercial labor can also be a form of forced labor and about what marriage is in reality for a lot of women and obviously also some men around the world so this kind of recognition that women do a huge amount of work that's not commercial doesn't um usually get recompensed and in general we're told not to expect recompense for it so it happens in the household and that can be a household conceived of as just the house we're thinking about domestic work cooking cleaning looking after children but also the broader kind of habitat as it were of the that in a book yesterday that was a useful word um of the household so then it involves kind of subsistence farming Um, work in the informal economy buying and selling things that are made at home etc and that this kind of is conceived as what wives do and so when someone's forced into marriage they're going to be forced into doing this labor and then also often people think about marriage as being where 
kind of socially sanctioned sex happens and so that's what's expected as well of wives and particular expectation um that you'll have children and often this kind of real pressure to have male children right not just on women in forced marriages but in general and i know you found some cases where it's kind of lots of stigma attached to the fact that they didn't have children first or that they didn't yeah. have a son and one i think horrific case you found where somebody had a child had been trafficked to china and then got sent back and had to leave the child yeah behind yeah there's you. a few of those because all they wanted yeah. is the is the child itself so i think it's also interesting that what the narratives show us is that forced marriage is a form of modern slavery like more narrowly defined as well as being this kind of obviously on this sort of broad understanding of modern slavery so that's thinking about kind of modern slavery as being really slavery but not chattel slavery so not slavery in law but like de facto slavery so cases where control tantamount to possession or the powers associated with property ownership are being exercised by one person over another yeah so i've been doing quite a lot of thinking about this and looking into the definitions and legal definitions of modern slavery and how that can be applied to forced marriage Mm -hmm. um so looking at the definition of modern slavery taken from the 1926 slavery convention um which is the internationally used understanding um, it is defined as the status or condition of a person over whom any or all of the power attaching to the right of ownership are exercised and it's this concept of ownership that is distinct um, so a situation where someone was being controlled by another person wouldn't necessarily meet the threshold for modern slavery unless there was clear evidence of the person being used as a commodity for personal benefit um, so John Al- John Allen has written a lot on this um and he applies property law to this perspective um to the interpretation of this definition of modern slavery and he's developed a list of powers attaching to ownership in respect to a person Um, and so these include uh, buying or selling a person transferring a person to an heir or successor using a person and managing the use of a person uh, profiting from the use of a person and also the dispersal mistreatment or neglect of a person and so Alan argues that control tantamount to possession is kind of is the minimum condition for their exercise. Um, but given this control, the exercise of any or all of these powers kind of speak to the condition of slavery. And so when we're thinking about forced marriage and its connection to slavery, it's possession that is a basic feature of this ownership and serves to identify, I guess, slavery in practice. Um, and we can also this Alan's arguments also relate to the Blasio Harvard guidelines. Um, they also state that in cases of slavery, the exercise of powers attaching to the right of ownership should be understood as constituting control over a person um, to significantly deprive that person of his or her individual liberty with the intent of exploitation. And they also use the language of through the use, management, profit, transfer or dispersal of that person. And usually this exercise will be supported and obtained through through means such as violence, force, deception and coercion. And that And they agree that possession is foundational to understanding this legal definition of slavery. I think it's really helpful for thinking through what modern slavery might mean in a kind of like really a slavery but not chattel slavery way. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised that there's a link between what Sean Alain says and what the Bellagio Harvard Harvard guidelines say because he was involved in writing them. But it's really helpful to kind of think about it in both those ways. Um, And interesting that he does it from a kind of legal perspective and you can see elements of the conventions that we've already been talking about reflected in that. Um, and kind of interesting for me, I guess, to contrast with how we think about property rights in a 
philosophical fashion and perhaps that's a topic for a further um, <laughs> podcast um, but guess just thinking about forced marriage could you talk us through how the narratives show that in forced marriages women and girls experience this control tantamount to possession yeah um, so I guess in the first instance if we look at marriage as a form of slavery in, ex- in itself um, there are examples in the archive of women and girls being sold and bought uh, for the purpose of marriage so we see this in the example of Seng Moon and her family fled fighting in Myanmar's Kachin State in 2011 and they ended up in a camp for displaced people. And then in 2014, when Seng Moon was 16, um, her sister-in-law told her about a job as a cook in China's neighbouring Yunnan province um, and she was promised higher wages than what she could make in the internally displaced persons camp. But on the way, she was drugged and in her narrative, she says, quote, When I woke up, my hands were tied behind my back. I cried and shouted and asked for help. My sister-in-law told me, now you have to get married to a Chinese man. I wore jeans and a red blouse. They gave it to me to wear. They tied me with a red ribbon. No one ever asked me if I wanted to be married, end quote. Um, And so later in the narrative, she recalls how her husband kept saying, I bought you, you are my wife, I bought you. And her narrative, which was originally published in the Human Rights Watch report, Give Us a Baby and We'll Let You Go, tells us that she was sold into marriage as a commodity and it was for the, to the financial profit of her trafficker and obviously to the personal benefit of the man who bought her. And this is represented in her recollection of being tied with a red ribbon and it kind of conjures up these depictions of being presented as a thing and an object to be possessed by her new husband, like tying even a, a gift with a red ribbon to be given to someone. And so Seng Moon's experience speaks to the buying and selling of a person as a feature of ownership. And obviously this is represented by her repetition of, I bought you. It's really interesting and also a really tragic case of where someone gets sold into a forced marriage, which is something that's also deliberately outlined as an institutional practice similar to slavery in the 1956 Supplementary Convention on the abolition of slavery, the slave trade and institutions and practices similar to slavery. So they always have such long titles. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know you've also been looking at cases where these powers associated with property or control tantamount to possession are being exercised within the marriage, as well as how people ended up being sold or entering into the marriage. Um, so I just wondered if you could tell us about some examples of that. Yeah, um, so there's a narrative from a woman called Park Ji Hyun, um, who was also sold into slavery, into marriage in China, sorry. And this was after escaping North Korea. So in her testimony, she talks about being sold at a bride market, at which she said, People would come and take a look at me and they would come and haggle over my price. And she described it as being no different from an animal being sold in the marketplace. So she was eventually sold for 5,000 yen um, or 500 pounds in Great British Pounds. Um, and she says that the person who bought you will say, quote, I've paid for you. So now you must do whatever I tell you to do. If you disobey in the slightest, I could report you. Even if I killed you, no one's going to say anything, end quote. And so while the initial part of this narrative is detailing experience similar to Seng Moon's. She was bought and sold as a bride to a man in China as a commodity. But her narrative also shows us how the powers associated with the right to property can extend beyond this initial transaction um, or the marriage and are brought to bear on life inside the forced marriage. So she she describes the man who bought her and how he felt that she had to do whatever he told her because he had paid for her and that he even had the power to kill her should she disobey. And so we can see this as an example of the power to dispose of property that Alain described, and this is closely associated with the concept of use uh, that marks the power of ownership. 
So inside the marriage, her husband treats her as a possession over which he has control and ownership. And this includes the right to destroy that possession. And obviously, you've already mentioned some examples where we see people using or making profit from the use of women, particularly not just in terms of benefiting from their own domestic labour, but also sending them out to, like, as you say, clean other people's houses or working fields that benefits more than their kind of immediate family. So I think all these narratives suggest that forced marriage can be considered modern slavery both in form and in substance. Um, You're showing examples where the initial marriage transaction is slavery because it involves buying and selling people, but also examples where the lived experience inside marriages often rises to the level of slavery in line with the 1926 Slavery Convention and the Bellagio Hardwick Guidelines, uh, where people are being treated as and used as property and having these kind of powers associated with property exercised over them. But you also mentioned that other forms of modern slavery are detailed in the narratives, such as forced labour, which although a form of modern slavery on this kind of broad conception, doesn't always involve people treated as property, so isn't always slavery. Um, so forced labour is work extracted under the menace of any penalty which is performed against the will of the person concerned, that is, for which the person has not offered themselves voluntarily. And this is quite a useful definition for thinking, of, I think, about how the I alone walk free using that to kind of explain how forced marriage might be a form of modern slavery because they highlight that domestic labour performed by women for their own families in forced marriages counts as a form of forced labour because even if you think that doing that kind of labour goes hand in hand with the being a wife, if you didn't consent to being a wife in the first place, then you didn't consent to provide these um, forms of labour. So I guess, have you also found cases where you think that it's more than forced labour or whether other, you know, it's not, it is actually de facto slavery. Yeah. So there are definitely instances in the archive uh, where marriages have been the guise for slavery, I guess you could call it. And that is where the husband and his family have used marriage as a form of, I guess you would call it recruitment for the express purpose of using women and girls' labour to their financial, social and personal benefit. And in such a way, this counts as slavery. So we have the example of a seal who was 13 years old when she was forced to marry a 21-year-old man and she was forced to perform domestic labour against her will and she experienced violence at the hands of her brother-in-law and her husband and her mother-in-law withheld her earnings from this domestic labour. So in her narrative, she recalls, I had to go and live with my mother-in-law. In front of my parents, she was very kind, but to me, she was very mean. She would force me to wake up early at 5am to do all the housework. There were lots of people and I had to clean up after my husband, his parents, his two sisters and their five children. Then my mother-in-law would make me go clean other people's houses and she would take all the money. I was exhausted and it was a big load for me that I could not afford to carry. She goes on to say she would often beat me and would always say the daughter-in-law will never be like my daughter. Many times she hit me in front of my husband and he would laugh with his mother and would also beat me using a belt. I felt very oppressed and kept wondering why I had got married so young. Things would have been much better if I'd waited until I was 18. My husband was always bad with me, never nice, and he only listened to his mother. Sometimes I wasn't able to change my clothes for two weeks. I wasn't able to get peaceful sleep and they left me without food for many days. And she mentions that one day my husband started beating me with an electric cable and he said he was going to hang me and his mother threatened to kill me with a knife. I escaped and ran from the house to my parents. There's so much awful stuff going on in that narrative. Um, and this is difficult to use in narratives, doesn't it? Like there's real people's real tragic stories and you're kind of using them to try and understand a bit more about sort of formal areas of research and the kind of form of the phenomenon that we're trying to 
explore, but I guess they also, which is what you were saying at the beginning about why narratives are important, right? They also remind us that these are real people and it's a really dreadful phenomenon that we ought to be trying to eradicate across the world. And it's incredible to think there's, like, as the ILO think, there's 15.4 million people and that that's definitely a conservative estimate. Yeah, they admit, don't they, that it's vastly underreported. Yeah, that this this kind of thing is happening to millions and millions of people every day. But it, it does give like a huge number of examples, doesn't it, of where property rights are being exercised or we might we might argue that the powers associated with property are being exercised so like control over what she eats what she wears where she lives what work she does not being able to receive the money for work where she does that kind of commercially plus this like incredible exploitation of her labor inside the house it's obviously not like a fair sharing of chores around this this um kind of multi-family household and then as we've talked about before this like threatening of being able to dispose of property. So there's kind of the using of it, but there's also the disposal of it. And to some extent, I guess, depending on who you think owns wives, transfer between who's exercising these powers, like yeah. the husband at some points and the mother-in-law at other times. Um, so I think, yeah, the kind of extreme nature of that shows that we're seeing the exercise of powers attaching to the right of ownership, um, including managing the use of a person profiting from the use of a person and the mistreatment of a person which would suggest that her experiences of forced labor inside at least forced labor inside that marriage could be considered slavery um and therefore that marriage forced marriages could be slavery in both kind of form and substance in terms of how we're thinking about kind of what modern slavery might mean and also i guess the ILO have both said and also has been emphasized by criminal court international criminal courts that people who are forced into marriages are extremely vulnerable to other forms of exploitation. Yeah, and I think a SEAL's narrative, I think, is a really good example of it is a forced marriage, but it's clear that this marriage was for the express purpose of exploitation of her labour. And I think that's a really good example of how marriage can act in that way and forced marriage can act in that way. Um, and it's not just domestic slavery uh, that women and girls experience in forced marriages. But also, as I mentioned before, there is false labor in agricultural work. And so in the archive, for example, there's a girl called Pili Lavanya uh, from India, and she was forced into marriage by her parents when she was around 14 or 15. Um, and her narrative describes how she was asked to begin work from her work at home from 6am. And she says, I was given something to eat only at 11am after the work was done. I was compelled to go to the fields and work as a laborer, which I did not know how to do. When I returned home, I had to cook and allowed to eat only after everyone else had eaten. My mother-in-law scolded me for not being efficient and my husband supported his mother. I was not allowed to continue my education, to meet anyone, visit parents or even get medical attention when I fell ill. Um, after six months of marriage, I conceived and suffered from bouts of morning sickness. I was not even aware of being pregnant. I was taken to a doctor only a long time after I became weak. And Pilly was able to go to her parents' house to give birth in her um, when she reached her fifth month of pregnancy and there she was rested and fed but she reports that on re upon returning to her in-laws after her baby was born that she was forced to continue this routine of domestic work and agricultural labour and what makes her lived experience rise to the level of slavery or could be argued rises to the level of slavery is the exertion of this control over her labour alongside the control over the rest of her life um, as with a seal's narrative we see again control of things like eating habits her education her social life and even medical care um, the fact that she didn't even know she was pregnant because she was refused access to that medical care and so I think in Pili Lavanya's 
narrative as well we see this managing the use of a person yeah and, all, and lots of different kinds of control over that person and how that control is exercised um and this not just management though there definitely is that but this profiting from the use of all this labor that's being done um be it that they're being forced to do so i was gonna say thanks lauren um all these cases you've given us detail about are fascinating um harrowing but definitely fascinating which i guess is one of the risks around research in this area that it is a really grim topic and difficult to to I mean, it's difficult to work on, right? So how, how can it be? <laughs> how difficult it must be to actually have to live in it. The narratives seem to clearly show us that forced marriage does include what the I alone walk free identified, forced labour plus a loss of sexual autonomy. Um, and also that some for other forms of modern slavery, um, broadly conceived, are experienced by women who are forced into marriages, including trafficking. Indeed, as the I alone walk free argue, it seems that once forced to marry, many victims are placed at greater risk of being subjected to other forms of exploitation. But I think these narratives are also showing that sometimes forced marriage is de facto slavery, like actually slavery. People who've been forced to marry really are treated like property and controls exercised over them in a variety of ways, which makes it tantamount to possession. Which I think means perhaps we need to think about terminology more so we can be precise about what we mean by a forced marriage, what kind of slavery or modern slavery or other forms of exploitation we're sort of pointing at and what the wrongs and harms are that are associated with forced marriage but that's definitely a topic for another day <laughs> um so for now i'd just like to thank you again lauren for agreeing to come on and participate in this episode and also take the chance to thank you for all the work you're doing on the project and all the work you've done so far so here's to many more episodes and other outputs about your findings on this strand of our research into when if ever forced marriage is a form of modern slavery oh, well thanks for having me Helen is based with the Rights Lab, a University of Nottingham beacon of research excellence. She is an assistant professor in the School of Politics and International Relations. Her forced marriage research is funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council and the Economic and Social Research Council. Please don't forget to subscribe to be notified on upcoming episodes. For more information, please visit our website, forcedmarriageresearch.ac.uk.